0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic.
2: Your guide on the side.
1: Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show. Dr.
3: Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. And I just wanted to wish you all a happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. So, for today, I put together a few festive topics to help us celebrate and recognize the holiday together. And when I think of Halloween, I think of three different things candy, costumes, and fear. And so, we're going to address all three of these topics today to make sure you're prepared for all the things coming your way tonight. We're first going to start off with an interview with Margaret Marshall, who says that if we give in to all the candy tonight, we are just plunging right into the beginning of holiday weight gain. So she's going to give us some advice on how we can have a healthy Halloween.
1: Margaret, thank you so much for being with us.
3: Hi, Matt. It's my pleasure to be with
2: you.
1: Good to talk to you again. Boy, it's it's going to be easy tonight to just go out of control, eating all the sugar, driving my little jazzy all around the neighborhood.
4: <laughs> you know, that's what happens. And and if we give into the candy, this is the candy week of the year. <laughs> Starting Well, it really starts in September. We start buying Halloween candy. Um, but it is the candy week of the year. And if you think of it, every holiday has candy associated with it. It's in a different form or with different wrappers. But Halloween is a big one. And if we give into all of the candy right now, as adults and even as children... We start the weight gain cycle for the rest of the holiday season.
1: Mm, so true. And it's it's a crazy time of year too, because you're busy like tonight I can already envision we will be running around, we have a birthday party for my granddaughter, we're doing all of these different things. I know we'll be throwing together a costume at the last minute. So it also makes it so we don't even get a good a good meal tonight. Uh,
4: Many people yeah you know that was one thing that was when and you have a birthday party thrown in there. congratulations yeah, that's even more you know <laughs> um, when I, my children were younger, they're older now and grown and out on their own, but when they were younger, that was one of the things with Halloween that was so important to me is that I had a healthy meal planned. It didn't have to be big, and it didn't have to take a lot of time, but it, it was something I insisted that we ate a good meal. I did not stop my children from eating candy on Halloween because it's part of the festivities, right. but along with that candy, they also needed to eat food.
1: So you you try, I guess, and that is one of your strategies, make sure that you, you set them up with a good meal, because I mean, that would also f- fill them up. They're not going to eat if they're incredibly full, right?
4: Right. Well, that's the hope for every other day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween tends to be a different kind of yeah. day. And, you know, the fun is really in the trick-or-treating and the dressing up and the You know, some schools have stopped the festivities in schools, but some still have costume parades and things like that. And I know they like to keep the candy out of the school, which I think is really smart. Um, But that's the fun. The fun is, you know, dressing in costume and trick-or-treating and being with your friends and being with the group. And the candy, we can make that secondary. Mm. And we can make it secondary by the way we as the parents and the adults approach the holiday.
1: And I guess that's one of your points is make sure you don't, I mean, because they've been offering candy for the last two months. You don't have to be buying it the minute it's on the shelf. Oh, my goodness. You should be buying it today. Halloween
4: candy on the shelf at, at, for Labor Day. And, you know, I what I do and what I always am, am, um, advise my clients to do is just look at that candy and say that's here to get into my wallet. Nobody cares mm. about my health. So if we go two months before Halloween eating that Halloween candy – um, you know, you're just setting yourself up for such a disaster—not even for the holiday season, but for every day of the year because so you're not true. exercising any control.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: in fact, uh, are there any? Would you say healthy, healthy candies? Um, we were looking at an article from the Washington Times that ranked the healthiest this season, but they're all just sugar. Sugar. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess some might be more fattening, but, and I, it's always funny to me when somebody says, yeah, no, there's no fat in this. It's just all sugar. And I think, well, okay, <laughs> great. So that keeps That's the fat on my trial, body. Right? right. So, are, is there anything healthier we could be eating?
4: Well, I'll be talking Halloween specifically because yeah. I know that's our discussion today. So I did not read the article that you saw, but my guess would be that when they use the word "healthy" and you even mentioned it, it's lower calorie. Yeah. there are some lower calorie sh- uh, sugar candy that you can eat, but for Halloween, you really have no control what goes into your children's Halloween baskets or, you know, pouches. So. I kind of think that goes out the window.
1: No, you think the you're healthiest. right. I mean, the, some know? of the examples are take five bar, which is just – it's got a pretzel, <laughs> caramel, and chocolate. Um, but Smarties, Jolly Ranchers, Tootsie Pops, Nerds, I mean, they're, they're it's
2: –
4: You're saying that's healthier? Yeah.
2: It's the healthiest.
4: Oh, my goodness. I would say to everybody, if you're going to choose you – know, first of all, we let, at least for me and, and what I always advise people to do, let your kids choose the food that they want. Let them choose the – the, uh, I know we go through it to make sure everything is safe That yeah. has not changed But let them choose what they want Because if you don't give them what they want They're going to go to their friend's house and eat their Halloween candy right. so, so let them choose what they want But limit it You know, Like like I said When my children were younger on Hall- Halloween day After I went through the candy And made sure that it was safe I didn't limit their amount of candy But because we didn't eat candy every day Too much candy was. They just wouldn't think of doing that and then for the next two or three days, they I would limit it. They would have a little bit. And then it was gone. Yeah. You know, somehow it was mysteriously gone. It,
1: it just don't disappeared. not all that candy. Right. I mean, but I guess that's it. The was
4: in the festivities.
1: That's a, I think that's a good way to look at it. That, that, and not to turn it into a big—you know, not to kind of bring a dark cloud over the holiday. Celebrate the holiday. Have lots of fun with it. Um, but we're just going to go back to our habits, and our habits are we don't have candy every day. So pick your best right. and— We'll you let know, you have Halloween that.
4: Halloween is a big holiday. It's the second decorated holiday of the year, hmm. second to Christmas. So most people um, really love the holiday. Yeah. So enjoy it. But we don't need the candies for days, months before, and days and weeks after.
1: And I guess that's always in our control, right? We, I mean, the kids are going to want it no matter what, but that's always been the case. But we can just, yeah. We'll have it a couple of days, and then it's it's time to give it up.
4: It's done. And, you know, if, it, not even for our health, and, and you said an article mentioned what's healthier. They're finding now, and this is for adults, maybe you don't have to worry about this with your kids right now, but for adults, sugar causes cholesterol more than fat.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. So,
4: right. you know, to say one candy is better than the other, is <laughs> all sugar anyway right. for an adult. I'm talking about an adult. although high cholesterol is now... Becoming prevalent in young children, which is pretty scary. But um, you know, it's more in adults. You don't even see the damage that it does to you until after you've eaten too much of
1: it. Right. I mean, we know the epidemic of obesity much is much attributed to our sugary drinks. Right. And so, I mean, the research is there, plain and simple. And I guess trying to make it you can only make it so healthy, right? It's it's a it's a holiday around around candy and but you can make it festive and fun let's do this let's take a break stick with us folks more on healthy living this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back
3: Welcome back. I'm Leanna Tan. This is The Matt Townsend Show. I'm here today to help you have a happier, healthier Halloween. So we're listening to health guru Margaret Marshall, who gave us some tips on how not to fall prey to all the candy tonight. She said to make sure to cook a nutritious meal for you and your kids so you aren't just feasting on candy all night as a source of nourishment. Matt also listed a few lower-calorie candies, but Margaret reminded us that All sugar causes higher cholesterol than fat. And Margaret didn't even advise to just feed your kids carrots and celery instead of candy. She actually said to let your kids pick what kind of candy they want, but to limit it. Let them enjoy some of that festivity, but not completely indulge. And hopefully that's a treat for them because you're not feeding them candy every single day. And I'm really glad to hear that because I had a party a couple days ago, and I fed everyone like fruit and veggies and cheese sticks so I hope that that means I have an excuse to eat a bunch of candy tonight. Well, it sounds like she's got a lot of good advice for us, so let's continue listening to the rest of the interview with her where she gives us a couple more tips for a healthy Halloween.
1: This is super fun to to think through some of this. One of the things that you also suggest, I mean, because it is an event where we go door to door, you could make it a little healthier if you focused on getting more steps throughout the night.
4: Yeah, you know, sometimes it's funny when I see people in the neighborhood trick-or-treating. They're in a car, and then they put their kids in the car, and they drive to the next block.
1: <laughs> I use, yeah, next. Yeah, and then walk they can around. just listen to the radio while they drive around.
4: Right. Walk around, and if you're in a neighborhood, a suburban neighborhood, walk up the driveway with the children. Mm. I would do that for safety, but you're also getting extra steps. That's in, true. Rather than standing at the end of the driveway and just looking up, and some driveways in, in various neighborhoods are long. Yeah. So you're getting a nice, a nice walk in beautiful weather that's the hope
1: and if you're getting if you have like a an 8 9 10 11 year old kid they're going to want to really go tonight so if you walk up and down a lot of these driveways you will you'll get your 10,000 steps yes
4: <laughs> that's a good good point matt where you're <laughs> it or whatever it is you wear and, and just see how many steps and, and be, be competitive with yourself. See mm. how many steps you can get in while trick-or-treating.
1: Set a goal. And one of the things you bring up is to trick-or-treat in high heels. Please yeah. explain that to me because to me it just seems like I'll be in the emergency it room.
4: It's crazy, right, Matt? Yeah. Well, that's what I titled the, the uh, article, Trick-or-Treat in High Heels, to catch attention. Yeah. But really what it means is, you know, feel good. Dress nice. Put on something that makes you feel good. Because I have found for me, and for so many people that I, I coach, um, is when you feel sloppy, you eat sloppy.
2: Hmm. And True. when you
4: eat sloppy, you dress sloppy. So on trick-or-treat night, unless you're in a costume, but in a costume will make you feel different anyway, and it will put you on a, in a different state of mind. And if you're not in a costume and you're walking your children around, dress nice. Put something that Put something on that says, I'm special. So if it's high heels, do the high heels. If it's, you know, your best coat, your fancy coat that you wear to parties, put that on. Or, you know, your favorite pair of pants that make you feel really good, put that on. Put something on that says, hey, I'm worth taking care of myself.
2: Mm.
1: And, I mean, that would change your night, too, about how you – because a lot of this, too, is socializing, interacting with other parents when you're out – bringing some energy to the event instead of just, you know, you know being lagging behind your kids.
4: Right, right. Yeah, make it social, absolutely. Have fun,
1: and have fun for your kids.
4: And have fun, yes. And, you know, these these Halloween's, these trick-or-treating events, they're memorable for the children. My kids still talk about our trick-or-treating <laughs> events. And so you don't think maybe how important this is to a child, but they are so memorable. They remember every costume that they ever wore. Um, that's so true it, it's a fun day
2: and
1: and it really is and I think as a parent you know sometimes you're just ugh I've got to get back to work tomorrow but right. part of this is maybe make it for the kids do something special right. for the kids tonight what, uh, what you have a great idea for the leftover candy we talked about how we probably want it to disappear if we want to stay healthy we don't want to have candy forever so um, what could we do with the candy you know say tomorrow or the next day
4: well, I always say, just find a way to get it out of the house, because as I write in the article, leftover candy will either go to your waste or to waste, uh-huh. and it's two different ways of spelling waste. It will either go to your waste, W-A-I-S-T, or to waste, W-A-S-T-E. The choice is yours. So if the candy lingers in your house, now you have the sugar in your system, and you, your cravings get more and more severe, the more sugar you have in your system, you're going to keep eating it, and and it's going to go to your waist Mm. w-a-i-s-t so you know get it out of the house if you have a local food pantry bring it there if you have what i understand and i've never done this but what i understand from some of the the clients that i coach is that if the bag of candy is not opened many of the stores will take it back if you still have the receipt so you can do that as well and um Local pantry, local food pantry, or a soup kitchen, or a homeless shelter. If you have anything like that anywhere near your your neighborhood, you know, you're not giving it. I always say, try not to bring it into work. Yeah. Because it's going to be so much at work. Oh. If someone brings in their leftover candy into your office, what they're really saying to you is, here, gain my weight for me.
1: hmm yeah, will you, will you will you get rid of this for me? In fact, um, in Utah, they there are a lot of dentists that will buy back the candy.
4: Oh, see that? How wonderful! And
1: then we just invest it back in their braces uh, for later in life. It's That's kind right. of it's an it's an investment program.
4: Right, it gets you into their office. But what a great idea!
1: But I really like the idea too of of giving it to food pantries. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the homeless need calories. They need something when they're out there too. So. Oh, it's
4: treat for them, and they're not going to abuse it like we will at home.
1: And you can also—what a great lesson for your kids to talk about and open up other discussions.
4: True. Very true,
1: man. About giving, about health. Well, I appreciate these insights. Give us one more. What's one more thing we should all remember tonight as we undertake this whole uh, Halloween Eve?
4: Oh, that's a good question, but I'm going to go back to what I said before because this is what I really believe. The fun is in the festivities. The fun is being with your family. And, you know, creating memories, everything we do with our children, it's all about creating memories and togetherness and uh, a family unit. So the fun is in the festivities and the fun is in being together. The candy is secondary.
1: Love it. Love it. So appreciate it. Again, Margaret Marshall, thank you for your wonderful insights and your great work. You can go find more from Margaret at her website, margaretmarshallassociates.com. And uh, also be looking for her books, uh, Body, Mind, and Mouth. And Healthy Living Means Living Healthy, great insights um, from a True Blue expert in healthy living. Stick with us.
3: I'm Leanna Tan and this is The Matt Townsend Show. We just finished up an interview with Margaret Marshall all about having a healthy Halloween. One thing she suggested was getting in some more steps if you're taking kids out around the block. Instead of waiting at the curb and just watching them go around the block, actually walk up the driveway to each house. She also told us what to do with leftover Halloween candy after you've reached your goal. And I liked her little pun. She said, It can either go to waste or it can go to your waste. And I think that's an interesting perspective. Candy isn't something that we need in life and it's not really doing anyone any good. So is it even really a waste to get rid of it after you've maxed out your festivities? She actually suggested donating it to your local food pantry or homeless shelter or if it hasn't been opened yet, just returning it back to the store. Okay, so we've talked about the candy part of Halloween, but now I want to talk about the costume and fear aspect of Halloween. There will be a lot of different costumes on your block tonight. Some of them might even be gory. And I remember when I was little, I got kind of scared to go to the neighborhoods where I knew there would be a lot of teenagers because when people have a costume on, they tend to assume that role and pretend that they are the Grim Reaper or pretend they are a zombie with a chainsaw. And so they don't just look scary but they act scary even to little kids. So this next guest, Susan Lynn, is going to talk about what is too scary for kids at different ages and how you should handle the situation when your kid does get scared.
1: Is it is I guess is that part of the deal is that these kids have a harder time discerning what's real and what's fake.
0: Well, I think that um we have to think about child development and and Children of different ages have different ways and different capabilities of thinking about things, so you know children toddlers, early preschoolers, maybe even you know preschools who are older than that um may you know may have a harder time understanding what's real and what's pretend and um and one thing I think it's important for adults to remember. Is that we we can all be scared of things, even if we know they're not real?
2: Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean,
1: th- I mean the, that's the th- and that's the easy scene, part, right? We we can fall for it.
0: Right. I mean, think about the shower screen in Psycho, mm. the shower scene in Psycho, which has terrified people for years. And you know, any movies or book or books you've read, television programs you've seen that just stay with you and you can't get the images out of your head.
1: So it sounds like, too, we've got to be careful because we could traumatize these kids by putting them into a situation that's too scary.
0: I think that that's that's really important when thinking about the movies and television programs that um, the parents share with their children. Um, It's important for them to remember that movies that are now rated PG-13, which means suitable for kids, you know, parental guidance, basically. Right. Before the age of 13. um, That those movies, uh, you know, a generation ago would have been rated R, restricted until the age of 17.
1: Hmm. Boy, times have changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, what? a couple of things happened. One thing that happened is that... um, technology in, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, the screen technology developed and got so sophisticated that people could do virtually anything with an image. And that's when movies had the capacity of becoming incredibly gory because, because they could do it. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that, you know, violence, like sex, Cells. Yeah. And so these movies can be – they don't need a lot of language, and they can be distributed all over the world.
1: Is there – how do we know how much is too much and at what age to, to kind of allow more – not just, I guess, gore – the gore sounds horrible – but just the scare factor?
0: I think that um, one thing that parents can do is take their cues from their children – and if if their children are afraid of something, that it's important not to belittle them for being afraid, um, even telling them there's no reason to be afraid. You know, I think it's important to honor their fear. I know, you know, for instance, yeah, I know that that's scary. And then you can say, but, you know, it's not real. You know, you don't have to look at it if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's important um, not to make children feel ashamed of of their feelings.
1: And I guess instead, let them talk about them.
0: Yes, it's important for us to you know send the message to our children that they can talk to us about anything. I mean, that's you know that's just important. Um, especially as children grow and face, you know, all sorts of challenges in the world.
2: Yeah.
1: Is there, um, I mean, because I guess developmentally, they'll start to be able to distinguish what's pretend, what's real. But again, things still may be scary to them. Is It, it seems like talking about it opens up their your ability to understand how they think and why they think. Um, so, so part of the benefit is just simply understanding your child
2: better,
0: right? That, that knowing more about about how they're experience experiencing the world, and um, and also as I you know kind of implied before anyway, establishing a relationship with them that's based on on trust in your capacity. You know, to hear what they're thinking and feeling without judging them for that. Yeah. And, and and I think it's also important for parents to differentiate between feelings and action. I mean, when I say don't judge children for their feelings, I'm not saying that it's okay for kids to be mean to other kids or to be violent. You know, we have to set limits on behavior. But, That's true. Um, but feelings are our, you know, our own. And
1: and I guess um, part of uh, the feelings, too, would be, and talking to them about it, would be your, allowing your child to kind of understand their emotion and their feelings. Um, do you, how, how do you help them process through their feelings? And maybe get well, them to other, I mean, not, not, I guess you don't want to change their feelings, but is there a way to also get them other information that they may not know?
0: Of course. I mean, you know, if a child is, is afraid of something, you know, you, you can, you know, say, like a child who's afraid of all dogs, you know, well, you know, most dogs are friendly and, you know, what it's important for us to do is to, um, what's important for us, us to do is, um, is you know try to help your children have experiences that counter their fear but not to get angry at them if you know they're not going along with the program yeah does uh, does that make sense yeah
1: absolutely because yeah and part of the yeah you don't want your emotion to cloud the whole situation either right you want to try to stay neutral and then just understand and be empathic toward their emotion
0: right or you know you can Share stories with your children about things that you were afraid Mm. of, or even things, you know, that you are afraid of. I mean, not, you know, the big things, but things like snakes, if you're afraid of snakes, you know. And, you know, I know most of them don't hurt me, but I still get creeped out. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you have fears that you've overcome, then, you know, I think it's helpful to share your experiences
1: it versus with your kids, yeah, versus like just forcing them into experiences. Uh, it might be better to be talking these things out instead of just showing up at a scary door
0: right. on Halloween. And yes, and you know, yes, and to go back to Halloween, if children are afraid of being out at night with you know kids in other costumes, if the very young ones get freaked out, take them home, yeah and that 's fine, they don 't have to go out and I and mean, I, what I, you don 't want to do is belittle them for their fears yeah and and telling them there 's nothing to be afraid of. I mean we say that kind of reflexively, but i 'm not sure how helpful that is
1: mhm do um I know in your work you do you, and you've become well known for being for using more puppets in psychotherapy and and using the puppets i guess to to help role playing and talk about what you 've learned about that process of creative play?
0: Well, um, first of all, um, creative play is the foundation of learning and creativity and constructive problem-solving, and it's also the way that children wrestle with life to make it meaningful. When children play creatively, when they bring characters to life on their own— when, when the script isn't being dictated to them, they play about their experiences, including their fears. And so, you know, you might have children pretending to be monsters. And that's a way of getting some, some kind of the jargon word is mastery hmm. over, over their feelings, a sense of competence around them. So you know, children like to be the scary monster. Often, they like to be the dragon. That you know, they like to be, you know, the bad guy. Sometimes they like to do that um, because it's a way. It's a way of helping them work through and conquer their fears.
1: It, it really is, and it seems like a it, when they when they get to play the scary monster they're playing it at their level. I guess it is and is it opening up their eyes as to that other side of the equation of that of you know kind of the mind of the monster.
0: I I think that um you know the answer to that really is that it depends on on the child. It can have different meanings for different children. But I think that they do this naturally given the opportunity and that you know we don't have to make an interp- interpretation. for yeah. them. We don't have to say. And clearly, I don't think we should say, well, you're doing this because you're afraid of blah, blah, blah.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. I
0: think, you know, what we can do is engage in play with our children. You know, what, what's not okay in play is if a child is actually hurting somebody else, or if two children are playing, and one of them is being scary, and the other one really is scared. That's not playing anymore. Right, that's that not, is it?
1: is it? No. Is, 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 here's a, one of the things I know you, you have talked about, too, is you can use the play as a great way to solve problems and, and let them try to like, put them in a situation in the play where they have to solve a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the nice things about talking through stuffed animals or puppets um, for parents, and, you know, I'm not suggesting that parents can be children's therapists. They can't. But, um, you know, if if you have a child who, who you know, doesn't want to go to bed, you know, you can have a stuffed animal take that role and say, I don't want to go to bed. And, you know, for young kids, you can say, you know, them, why do you think Bear doesn't want to go to bed? What do you think is going on? What should we do to help him? Yeah. And just just that's kind of a fun way of of um of helping children you know get through things that they really don't want to do. I mean when my daughter was young and and was i mean she was like two two and a half at the time, and she would resist getting dressed, I would have her socks start arguing <laughs> about which one could go on first oh yeah. You know, and then let her make the decision. So, you know, in or, um, you know, if she didn't want to come to dinner, I would say, you know, Sasha, your peas are calling you. <laughs> Sasha, Sasha, come eat me. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I, we we can use play to help children, young children especially, get used to routine, routines that they may, you know, just be resisting.
1: Yeah. What other advice would you give us for tonight um, with our kids as we, you know, as we just go knocking door to door, if we start to see some fear, but not, you know, not enough maybe that they want to stop, but they they seem to be a little scared about something. How, how would you suggest we talk to our kids through, talk them through that?
0: Well, um, again, it depends, you know, it depends on your child. But I think you can say, you know, it is, you know, this seems, they like, this might be a little scary for you, and your child will either say yes or no, and you can say, you know, we don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can have fun with Halloween at home. You don't have to keep going and give them that option.
1: And really, it's it's kind of letting them lead this to, a, to some point, huh?
0: Um, well, to some point. I mean, I think it's up to adults to say when enough is enough. Yeah you know, when to stop and, you know, and that kind of thing. But um, in terms of kids balking at going trick-or-treating, there's really no reason for them to have to do that.
1: Yeah, that's not, yeah, this isn't major, a major developmental stage no, no, right, it isn't. Life.
0: And it, if it's not fun, there's really no point.
1: Well right and and honestly it it's it's almost like everyone else is doing it so I feel this fear of missing out but honestly it might do them better to not want to chase the bag of candy all night.
0: It it's just really it depends you know it depends on on your child and I think that one thing that's happening is that parents are are bringing increasingly younger children out trick trick or treating you know kids under two or three yeah. are going trick-or-treating now. And, and you know, it might be frightening for them or even just overwhelming for them. And, and you know, the excitement of getting so much candy can make kids irritable or, you know, start crying. So I think, you know, with, with the very young children, if you really want to take your child trick, trick-or-treating, then, um, you know, do a little bit
4: with them.
1: Yeah. Do a little bit, then maybe take a little break. Well, we appreciate you, Susan. Thank you for your work and uh, just your your thinking about the things that we need to be thinking about. Again, Susan Lynn is her name, and she is the author of Consuming Kids, The Hostile Takeover of Childhood, and The Case for Make-Believe, Saving Play in a Commercialized World. Both books uh, were published by the New Press powerful uh powerful insights but uh, let's think about the kids tonight all of us too while we're driving around let's make it a safe safe night for everybody this is the matt townsend show helping you be the good in the world
3: with the rest of today's Matt Townsend episode. We've talked about a few different aspects of Halloween in today's episode already. We got some tips on staying healthy tonight and also what to do when our kids get scared. And I think this is a major part of Halloween, the celebration and even instigation of fear. So for the last part of the episode, I really wanted to address the heart of the holiday. This next interview I found really fascinating and and helpful. It's all about how to befriend your fears. And it's not just talking about going up and shaking hands with the guy in the zombie costume, but how to befriend those everyday fears you may or may not realize you have so that they don't consume you. Matt brought on expert Kristen Ulmer, and she's going to talk about what fear is, how we recognize it, and how we can befriend it rather than always trying to conquer or ignore it.
1: Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Hi, Matt. This good morning.
1: Good, good to have you. This is um, I, I love your approach to this because a lot of us feel like you know we need to overcome fear. We need to kind of like eliminate it from our lives. It shouldn't be a part of our life. But it, it sounds like you you believe it's better to just kind of make it a friend.
5: I do. You know the language. Everybody wants to conquer, overcome, let go of fear, use your rational mind to get rid of it. You know, that's the language around fear. But the thing is, fear is with us every single moment of every single day in nearly every single interaction we have. And we're just kind of in denial of it. And we then fight a war with it. And that war is being carried out in our unconscious mind. And it messes up our lives in ways that are either really obvious, like panic attacks or insomnia, keeping us, you know, fear keeping us awake at night, or uh, chronic anxiety or irrational fear. Or it messes up our lives in covert ways or re- redirected ways that we're not even aware of is uh, the result of the repression of fear.
1: Mm. And do you, how do you convert it? Um, because I mean, fear naturally, right, is supposed to. It's it's probably protecting us. It thinks or our subconscious thinks from, you know, doing something stupid, from, you know, overextending. Um, So how do you convert kind of a natural response to something that serves you instead of something that exhausts you?
5: Well, there are two choices on what we can do about fear. Like, picture fear at work. Like, if you want to do a good job at work, anxiety is going to be a constant issue. And make no mistake, anxiety is just a new word for fear. Like, right. we don't even want to call it fear anymore. So we call it worry, anxiety, nerves. And it is supposed to take you into a heightened state of awareness because you don't want to mess it up, right? Right. And it's always going to be there, especially if you want to do great things with your life. Um, that is unless you want to, like, not work and sit in an ashram your whole life and sing Kumbaya. Right. <laughs> right. But you have two choices on what to do with it. You can either block it out or avoid it or ignore, control, fight it, you know the language. And you can put a lot of intensive effort into that, you know, getting massages, going to the gym, meditation, medication, (laughs) breathing techniques, those kinds of things. And it works. It gives you temporary relief. But what happens is the fear doesn't dissipate. It actually just gets stored in your body and it backs up and then it gets harder and harder to block out over time. So what you get for temporary relief, oh, I don't have to deal with my fear, is next thing you know, it becomes harder and harder to block that fear out. Um, Maybe you bring it home with you because you're not dealing with your fear at work and little things start to bug you, you're picking fights with your wife, right? Or next thing you know, you have some sort of anxiety disorder, insomnia, you know, your fear is keeping you awake in the middle of the night. Ultimately, too, because it becomes so exhausting to not deal with your fear, you burn out. You know, you just don't want to do the thing anymore that you used to love. So the other option is what I call having a fear practice where freedom is available by turning towards the thing that is causing you problems rather than away from it. And uh, I imagine that's what we'll talk about now.
1: That's huge. Turn towards it instead of away from it I mean you're right because it is it's like a cumulative effect right you just keep you just keep the more you're stuffing it and and turning away from it, it it's just it's just behind the next corner it's behind the next situation um, so so when you talk about uh, how about turning toward it how how do we do this let's say my fear, is a fear of, I mean, it could be more subtle than even public speaking. It could be a fear of failure, like you're saying, or a fear of not being liked. Um, How do you actually recognize what the actual, like, root fear is? And does that even matter if you know the root fear?
5: Well, there's fear and there's fears. So let's separate the two. Fear is just the sensation of discomfort in your body. And you can close your eyes right now and you can probably find it because like I said, it's there all the time. Like, close your eyes right now. And if somebody's listening, you know, and you're driving down the road. Don't close your
2: (laughs) (laughs) eyes.
1: Pull over and close your eyes.
5: Yes. So close your eyes and find that sensation of discomfort in your body. And there won't be any kind of thoughts associated with it. It's just a feeling. And it'll feel like anxiety, nerves, angst. Or because all the emotions are so intimately connected, it may feel like anger.
2: Hmm. It
5: may even feel like sadness. You know, oftentimes we would rather feel anger than, than fear because it feels more powerful. Like the kid that has a really scary home life will just resort to anger instead because it makes him feel um, kind of less like a victim. Yeah. And so it also may show up as sadness. So all the emotions are very interconnected. You can't repress one emotion without it affecting all the others. So that's find cool. that sensation now. And for me, I feel it today in my throat and in my chest. Where do you feel it?
1: I feel it under, like, under my ribs, so in my, like, by my heart, I guess.
5: And sometimes when I say locate discomfort, people will say, oh, well, my lower back hurts or my old broken leg. And oftentimes there is an undealt-with-emotional component that's exacerbating illness or pain from an old injury. So find that discomfort and just acknowledge that it's perfectly normal and natural to feel this way. Life is a scary experience. We're going to come in contact with horrible situations, difficult times. We're going to see some bad things in our lives. People are going to treat us wrong. Um, It's just perfectly normal and natural to feel that sensation. So that's fear. When it starts to be fears, like maybe an OCD or fear of clowns or, you know, Mm -hmm. some sort of uh, fear of rejection, of course, is, is a big one, fear of failure, all that then that's kind of that sensation combined with a thought.
2: Hmm.
5: What are we taught to do about insomnia then is we're taught to turn away from it, like go and distract yourself, breathe in calm, breathe out your fear, you know, try to calm your mind down. Yeah. I say turn towards it instead. And this is a little trick that I do if, I, if monkey mind or fear wakes me up in the middle of the night, I turn towards it and I give it my complete undivided attention.
1: Hmm. You, you actually, you, you light it up. You shine the light no, on it.
5: No, that's very different.
1: So you, you uh, think, how do you turn toward it?
5: You don't give it a, like a, a shot glass of caffeine or you don't like ramp it up. It's kind of like a whining child. You know, do you have children? Yes. All right. They're, they're, they're past whining.
1: Now they're just <laughs> grumbling.
5: Okay. Yeah. So what do you do when they're whining or grumbling?
1: Well, I, well I, I want to get mad, but instead I have to turn and listen.
5: Right. So that's what you do. It's not like you're turning to your child and saying, okay, drink this Mountain Dew and, and let's get really upset now. That's not what this is about. This is about just giving that child your undivided attention and being curious about what it has to say or, what you know, it being fear, child being a person, what he or she has to say. And if you do that, what happens with that child
1: They end up sharing, and once they've shared, they seem to tire themselves
2: out.
5: Yeah, they feel better. You know, 7.5 billion people on the planet, what do we all want? Peace. Peace, yeah. We all want peace. We all want love. We want to be seen and heard and understood, and that's the same thing with our emotions. I like to personify our emotions, fear in particular. I like to see fear as like a child or roommate or spouse it 's like how would you treat your child, your roommate, your spouse if you wanted to have a great relationship with them? Well, you give them love and consideration and attention, and then you have a healthy, happy relationship with this individual called
1: fear hm that's beautiful and then it's um and then you are it's almost more like you're you are connected your emotions can become an extension to you there. It's, it's, it's like biofeedback. It's the feedback you're getting from your body.
5: Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many people that are medicating their emotions away because they really think that fear, anger, sadness is not supposed to be part of our human experience. And they've been fighting this war with these emotions for so long. It's not working. And so ultimately they resort to medicating them away. And it's really too bad because, of course, there's consequences of doing that. Um, you know, is that you're kind of thwarting your aliveness. And, uh, you know, you think that what all these methods and modalities, too, on helping us deal with our fear and anxiety, that we'd all be feeling a lot better. But we're just getting more and more pickled in anxiety every year. Yeah. And the thing is, even methods like meditation or capping, you know, or uh, three deep breaths, you know, or putting fear out of our mind, like all these things give us temporary relief, but it actually exacerbates the underlying cause. And so what I found during my ski career is I was really good at blocking out fear. You know, I was like world-class, not just at the skiing, but I just like was so good at controlling my fear, blocking it out using all these methods. But I learned that it's really bad advice because you can get away with it for about 10 years and then just things start to go south. It becomes harder and harder to do. And so that's why I became a fear specialist because by the end of my ski career, I had PTSD, and PTSD is just a fear injury And in that, you know, we've locked fear in the basement, and it's now haunting us from the basement. I started having a lot of injuries because I had to become a really rigid person to not deal with my fear, mm. and what do we know about rigid trees and heavy winds? Well, they break. Yeah. I was also really burnt out. I started to dread winter because it was so exhausting to not deal with my fear, and so I quit my ski career, and, uh, is set out to try and figure out what had gone wrong. And this is what I learned is that I was doing what we're all taught to do, you know, conquer, overcome fear, and it was ruining my life.
1: Is, cause I know you also do coaching, Kristen, and, um, and, and helping people, kind of guiding them through, you know, walk, to going down to the basement, <laughs> unlocking the door, and, and coaxing the fear up and out. Is, is fear something that, um, Cause I, but I also notice when you do the activities like with us on the – I mean, right here, it really is – it's something I have to do inside me. Um, so you can just – I guess tell us how you go about coaching people to go through the process. And then at what point is it just really about us continuing the practice?
5: Great question. So I do a lot of lectures, but my favorite thing to do is I facilitate people.
2: Mm.
5: And – I I like to give them an embodied experience. So what I do is I broker a conversation between you and your fear. So I I don't actually give advice. I just take people on a journey into their unconscious mind to have that conversation with fear. Everybody is so different. Everybody is dealing with fear in a different way. It's showing up from the basement in uh, different ways. You know, some people it's completely redirected as something that doesn't seem like fear at all. and, uh, But we can do something here right now because that takes a, that's a process that takes some time. I actually work with people only for about six hours yeah. to get them to the other side of a fear-related problem. Um, but we don't have six hours. So let's do this instead. You ready? Yeah. Yep. Close your eyes and find that sensation of discomfort in your body again. And notice this is a different moment if it's changed, if it's in the same place. For me, I still fear, feel it in my chest. I feel it a lot this morning because I'm so not a morning person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I'm a little goofy in the morning, but. Um,
1: <laughs> <so> <laughs> well, you're, you're pulling it. it off really well.
5: Oh, thank you. I feel it in my chest. And tell me again where you feel it this time.
1: Uh, I feel it again in, yeah, in the same place in my chest.
5: All right. So spend 15 seconds now just acknowledging that it's perfectly normal and natural to feel this way. You know, Especially if you're doing big things with your life, you're going to feel this way. And then the second step is you want to get to know your patterns around that fear. Like, what is your relationship with that fear? And remember, I like to personify it. Like, how do you treat this employee, this child, this spouse of yours? Do you hate it? Do you wish it weren't so? Do you avoid it? Do you ignore it? Mm. Do you try to control it? Do you fight it? That's the big one, right? That makes you feel empowered, right? So the word that we're looking for is do you resist it in any way? And for me, fear is, an uncomfortable feeling and you know we humans have a long history of avoiding anything uncomfortable but our resistance is the bigger issue you know if you feel a lot of anxiety in your life fear is not the problem it's your resistance to the fear that's causing that anxiety so notice what your pattern is with it and do you resist it and i have an equation suffering equals discomfort times resistance so how big is your discomfort say Matt, from a level 1 to 10. Like, for me, my discomfort today is about a 6.
1: Yeah, for me, it's, uh, let's see, it's it's probably a 5. Yeah, less, it's not as, it's, it's a 5.
5: And what's your resistance to it? Like, you're, I don't want to feel this. I wish this weren't so. For me, it's about a 6 as well.
1: Mine's higher. Like, mine's an 8. I don't want to feel it.
5: All right. So times those two numbers together. And that's your level of
1: suffering. So suffering is discomfort times
5: resistance.
1: Resistance.
5: So it's really, really hard to lower the discomfort. And like I said, it's temporary, and it just goes on underground. And it's a whole lot of effort. Hmm. A lot less effort is to work on your resistance. If you can lower your resistance to, let's say, a level two, yeah, then you know, do the equation. That's a whole lot of less suffering.
1: Man, that's great.
5: Yeah, so that's level step two. You know, fear is natural. Find it in your body and then notice your level of resistance and just kind of wiggle that a little bit. And then the third step, and this is my favorite, and this is like we were talking about when you can't sleep at night, you turn towards it.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
5: fear just wants to be felt. It doesn't want to be thought about. It doesn't want to be rationalized away. It wants to be felt. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to feel it. So just keep your eyes closed and spend 30 seconds, and I'll be talking over this, just feeling it. And the thing is, you're, you're not thinking about feeling it or what that means, you're just feeling it. And so it's a thought-free action. And emotion is this sensation of discomfort in your body. And when we deal with an emotion intellectually, when we try to rationalize it away or understand it, we're not dealing with it emotionally, and that's going to cause some problems. So again, my definition of emotional intelligence is our ability to feel our emotions in an honest way. And so that's what we're doing right now. And the key is you're doing this without trying to get rid of it. You're just spending 30 seconds feeling your fear, listening to that child, and that's it. Hmm.
2: That's
5: your fear practice.
1: And and you just, by, by feeling it, I guess you're you've, you're validating it and you're... I, I, you're probably turning off other parts of your body. It seems like uh, cause what it feels like to me is that I'm more accepting it.
5: Yeah. But accepting it is one. It's definitely a step in the right direction, but it's not really what we're going for. Like accepting your fear is like, Oh, I can't stand it. It is what it is. But I yeah, know yeah. do about it. I got to accept. Right. Like, that's not what we're going for. What we're going for is we're honoring it.
2: Hmm. You know, yeah. We're
5: honoring it. That's, We're having this authentic, real, honest relationship with it. We're willing to listen to it. And maybe this is level, you know, the next step on is actually, can you feel the percolation of energy there? Hmm. Can you feel the aliveness that comes from fear? Fear is actually one of the most amazing experiences we get to have here on planet Earth. You know, if you think back on the times in your life when you felt most alive, surely you're going to find that fear is part of the experience. What are some of the times that you felt most alive?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, in, in my in my in my scariest growth-driven moments of my life, these moments right. of you know becoming a professional at something or yeah, taking it to the next level, uh, Kristen, you know what? Love this stuff, and uh, we got to have you back again to 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 take a more advantage of this. This is such. Such an honor. I'm so grateful to have you. The name of the book, again, is The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. Go to her website, KristenUlmer.com. KristenUlmer.com, where you can learn more about having a fear practice, and you can also find out how to contact her if you want to, to actually work through a, a you know a fear-related issue. Um, powerful stuff. Wow. The power of just going inside and, and allowing things to be. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
3: She said a lot of things just now that really resonated with me. I don't know if I've ever heard someone talk about fear that way. But I liked what she said, that fear is a natural emotion and that it will always be there. We can't just completely eliminate it. It's interesting that she said we need to take time to honor our fears and this idea of turning towards your fears instead of trying to bury them or push them aside. So according to Kristen, the biggest issue isn't having fear, but when it turns into anxieties and phobias and starts interrupting other aspects of our lives and our functioning then it's because we are resisting it in some way. I like that idea she presented of acknowledging our fears when we do feel that discomfort and even just listening to our fears, which I didn't even really know what that meant, but I liked how she kind of played it out for us. And I think maybe we all need to try this practice of honoring and acknowledging our fears, even though that's a pretty scary concept. Tonight isn't the only night we will have fearful things knocking on our doors, and so I hope this gave you some tools to not let those fearful things control your life tonight or any other night of the year. And remember, this holiday isn't about the candy, and it shouldn't even necessarily be about the fear. It's about making memories and celebrating together. So I hope you all have a happy, healthy Halloween. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan bringing you some of Matt's best tidbits, Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend.